We started last week, this is a two-part, this is part two of this, this message. Last week we asked this question, what are the benefits of reading the Bible? And like sort of a straightforward question to ask, right? We, we sort of built this upon looking at the truth of the Bible and the authenticity of the Bible and uh, why we can trust the Bible. And so we can ask this question, what are the benefits of reading the Bible? Or we can say, what, is, what does it do for me? Right? We ought to ask that. That's a good question. It's a hard question, but we should ask it. And one of our key points we saw last week is that the, really the why, why should I read the Bible? It's really wrapped up in this understanding that the Bible is this priceless, priceless treasure. It is priceless. It has amazing benefits. We noted last week that the statistics show that nine, almost 9 out of 10 American households own a Bible. And the other one out of ten can get easy access to it for free on their phones or at the library or they can go to a church like ours and someone will hand them a Bible. Right? So basically 100% of Americans have access to the Bible and yet only two out of ten read it with regularity. Americans have a treasure. We as Americans have this priceless treasure and we don't use it. And we don't seek it. We don't go after it. We have a treasure and we don't know the benefits. So we started looking at, well, what are the benefits? Let's be refreshed in what the benefits are. So last week we looked at three benefits. I'll just review those first off this morning. The first benefit of the Bible is that the Bible tells us what the truth is. Jesus said it. He said, I am the truth. I am the truth. And so the Bible, if it's God's words, it's the truth about the truth. We looked at that last week and we said, wow, the Bible reveals to us what is right, what is good, what is real about a variety of things. It tells us about life, death, and eternity. It tells us about human relationships. It tells us about work and interacting with work. It tells us about family and the home and how we raise our kids and relate to our spouses. It talks about the government and our authorities. It talks about health and wellness. It talks about how to think wisely. It talks about how to make good decisions and so on and so on. The Bible gives us the truth for all of these things. The second benefit we looked at last week was happiness. Jesus said it himself there in Luke chapter 11, verse 28. He said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Happy are those who hear the word of God and obey it. How can I be happy? How can I have joy? How can I be blessed? I can do it by hearing the word of God and putting it into practice. One of the benefits of the Bible, then, is happiness. Third, third benefit we looked at last week was victory. Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. We talked last week about how, you know what? There really, there is a spiritual realm. There is a spiritual realm going on and we can't see it. And in this unseen realm, there's Satan and his demons. And this Bible gives us the opportunity to have victory over Satan and victory over demons. And when it gets beyond them and just into the world and our flesh and the temptation that comes from those places, the Bible helps us get victory over those things as well. 
So that was the third benefit of the Bible. So today we're going to look at three more, three more benefits of the Bible. And then we're going to close with one thing that the Bible doesn't give us. That's where we're going to go. All right. So the fourth benefit, the first one today is growth. Growth. This verse in Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so here in this verse and in a number of places there in Ephesians, there is an illustration, isn't there? There's this illustration of the Christian's journey through life, this journey through faith and the journey into community as a church. And what is that illustration? We see it right there. It's a body. It's an illustration of a body. And so we kind of have to ask that question, well, what does a body do? Right? It kind of sounds like a kid's sound. What does a body do? You know, it's this weird, what does a body do? Well, we have to ask that. What does a body do? And you go, well, there's lots of things. My body does lots of different things. And we won't go into all of that. But you think about a little kid. And we have a number of little kids here. All of us were little kids. Many of us have little kids. One of the main functions of a little body is to grow, isn't it? You look at those little kids and you go, man, they're just growing like weeds. Right? We, those of us who have kids, we see that. We, we, we go places and interact with people and sometimes it's been a while. We've interacted with somebody and then some time goes by and we see those people again and they see our kids and what's the thing they say? Wow, your kids have really grown. <laughs> they're getting so big. It's like the function of the body. One of the functions of the body is to grow. And we want our kids to grow. All of us who have little kids or who have had little kids could relate to this. We want them to grow. We want the body to grow. How do we get them to grow? Well, we feed them. When they're teenagers, we feed them a lot. We feed them. And we want to feed them what? Junk? No, we want to feed them good stuff. We want to feed them healthy food. Healthy stuff. At least hopefully you want to do that, right? In the same way, if we want to grow spiritually, we have to feed ourselves spiritual food. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. In this faith journey, we all start out... As babies, we start out as little kids, as like he says, newborn infants in faith, spiritually speaking. That's how we start out. It makes sense, doesn't it? We are dependent upon others. That's part of why church is so important. We're little, we're dependent upon others, we're unsure, and we're unknowing, and we grow up with what? What does it say? Healthy, spiritual food. That's how we grow. First John Chapter 2 says, he, he writes, he says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We've all probably heard this passage before. 
But I really believe this is a this is a description of spiritual things and spiritual growth, not necessarily physical growth. So when he says fathers, I don't think he's talking to parents. I think he's talking spiritually. And I think when we do this, we see that there is a pattern of growth right here in this passage, right? Where do we start out? We start out first as spiritual children, just like it says in First Peter, newborn infants. We start with kind of that phrase, well, what do you know? Well, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible... Tells me so. We start out at that level. We're learning the basics of the faith. As we come into this spiritual journey, we start to recognize sin and we see sin as sin. We start to see God and we see his characteristics that he's good, he's loving, he's right, he's perfect, he's all knowing, he's powerful, he's personal. And as it says in that verse, we find comfort in knowing God. We're spiritual children. We go, oh, I know God. I have comfort. Then we move on and we become spiritual young adults. We start to abide in God's word. That's the way that we grow up. We start to understand, yeah, there really is this spiritual realm. There's spiritual dynamics to every human situation. As it says in the verse, we begin to overcome the evil one. We begin to understand, hey, I can overcome my enemy. And we start to see false doctrine. And it makes us angry, right? Often when you can see someone who's in this phase of spiritual growth, they want to just refute. They're like, that is some false doctrine and I want to refute it. Because they start to see it. And there's this growth. And then we move on from that into being spiritually mature adults. Coming into a deeper understanding of God. We are mature enough to be secure in our faith. As it says in the verse, we can say, we've known God from the beginning. I've known him. He is personal. He is real to me. I know the scripture. Isn't this a neat pattern? I love how he says this in John. It shows us this way. And as you think about your own lives, you might say, well, I kind of see myself on that journey, and maybe in, even in, in some things, I, I, maybe I'm kind of at this level, and other ways I'm in this level, and some ways, maybe I'm kind of just still an infant in things, and that's okay. It's okay. We're all on a faith journey of growing. But above all, our point this morning is this. Remember, the Bible points us in this direction, and it gives us the food for growing. The next benefit of the Bible we want to look at this morning is power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power. You will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we love this verse because it tells us about the Great Commission. If you look into the Greek here in this passage, the word for power is dunamis, which is the same root word that we use for dynamite. That's the picture of dynamite. If you were wondering why that was up there, that's why it's there. It really means, that Greek word means miraculous power. Not just sort of ordinary power, not hydroelectric power, nuclear power. It is miraculous power. And so what else does the Bible tell us about miraculous power? One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is this one. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to who? To God, not to us. This power, this miraculous power It's not from us. It's not from us. God's miraculous power comes down and fills up this earthen vessel. This dust. Remember, we're made from dust. 
From dust I have come, and to dust I will return. In the meantime, God's formed me into this thing so he can put his power inside of me. His miraculous power. I hope that strikes you. Man, it strikes me. It hits me at the core. So how does this power manifest itself? A few examples from Scripture. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Where does God's power manifest itself here? Her understanding myself. God's power shows up as wisdom so that I can understand what's going on inside of me. That is cool. Second way, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God's power shows up as faith. Have you ever seen somebody, maybe you even saw it in your own life, when they come, they come to know the Lord and they place their faith in Jesus Christ, they receive that free gift of salvation and you watch and it's, it's this amazing thing where you go, oh, you see the power of God at work in somebody. And it's like the old self is falling off of them and they're coming into this newness. There's a power in that, isn't there? It's a power from God, a miraculous power. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's power manifests itself in all kinds of changes in our life, and one of those changes is in the way that we think, in our patterns of thinking. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to what? According to the power. The power at work within us. To him be the glory. God's power helps us to do anything that he wills us to do. God's power is there for our help. And the Bible shows us, the Bible tells us, we want to get that power, we've got to abide in it. So that's another benefit of the Bible is we get, it helps us access and bring about that spiritual power in our life. Okay, the sixth and final benefit of the Bible, the last one we want to talk about today, is guidance. We all know Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Very simple. What is this saying? God's word is a guide to me. He's given me the Bible. He's given me his word. It's a guide to me. Well, guide for what? Well, for a couple things. One is for thinking. For how I think. We're going to be transformed in the renewal of our minds. His word is a guide for how I think. It teaches me how to see the world. It teaches me how to think clearly about situations. It teaches me to have a spiritual view. A spiritual worldview. There's power in that. There's guidance in that. It also teaches us to have guidance for decision-making, which is kind of what we want, right? We're faced with thousands of decisions every day. The Bible gives us clear directives, some examples. It says, husbands, love your wives. That's a real clear directive, isn't it? It doesn't say love someone else's wife. It doesn't say love yourself. It says you, husband, love your wife. It's very clear. What about do not be anxious about anything? But in everything, 
Pray. Should we worry about things? No, it tells us, don't worry. Pray. It's a very simple, clear directive. It also says, love your neighbor as who? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's very clear. It's a very clear directive. The Bible also gives us examples to follow. When we face situations in our life, we can go back and look at other people and say, what did they do? Some examples of that are, Job would be one if we face grief, if we face loss, if we face hard times and things we don't understand, we can look at Job and say, how did Job deal with that? There's David. David also had a bunch of sorrow. David was abandoned by his friends and uh, the, things weren't working out for him the way he, he thought. And then later in his life, he had moral failure. We could look at David and say, how did David, how did he deal with this? What did he do right? We could look at Moses. Moses had a lot of personal weaknesses in his life. And we say, well, how did Moses overcome those? What did he do? Where did he go? How, what were his interactions with God like? We can look at the New Testament. We look at Paul. Paul had a problem with pride. We could see that clearly in the letters. How did he deal with it? What was the result? We can even look at other people in stories like good old Zacchaeus. You probably remember this from Sunday school. When we want to turn from an old life, what do we do? Look at Zacchaeus. He's an example. And we could go on and on with all of these stories. The Bible gives us a guide for decision making. Gives us clear directives. And it gives us examples to follow. And you can say, okay, fine, fine. If the Bible is a guide, is it useful to everyone? If it's so useful, how come everybody doesn't use it? Is it useful? Well, it's not. Who is it useful to? It's really only useful to those who have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 and 15. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but it is himself to be judged by no one. The natural person does not accept things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. The Scripture is folly to those who don't have the Spirit of God. In Romans 8 9 it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Are you saved? You have the Spirit in you, and you have a spiritual understanding. And so the Bible is a useful guide to you. I so appreciate it. We talked about this last week in youth group. And Rob shared his, his, it was just a very simple story. He said, before I was saved, I didn't understand the Bible. After I was saved and the Spirit came to live in me, I started to understand the Bible. It's very simple. The Bible gives us guidance if we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So that gets us our benefits. The Bible's got many benefits. We could probably come up with a list of some more. We talked about truth and happiness and victory and growth and power and guidance. But there's something the Bible does not give us that I wanted to cover today. And it does not give us standing with God. What? The Bible doesn't give us standing with God? See, I think that maybe I should have said this first at the beginning because I think any discussion of the benefits of the Bible has to be predicated upon the central message of the Bible, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So when I say standing, I say, how does God see me? See, there's all these religions and all these worldviews out there, and basically all of the rest of them promote some variation as relating to God of just do good stuff to get right. 
Do good stuff to get right in the sight of God. Whether that's now or in eternity or some other point or to save the children or what. Just, just do the right thing. Just do stuff. And that'll fix your, your standing with God. We see that across the board. But the Christian faith is different. The Christian faith tells us things like this, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. It also tells us, it tells us this. Titus 3, 5 and 7. God saved us not because of works done by us, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Go over to Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will he purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Again, other religions would say, we have a book. Read this book so you can be right with God. Read the book so you can be saved. Reading the book is a good work that will make God love you more. And that is bondage. And if we as Christians will read the book and take that attitude and say, I got to read the Bible so God will be pleased with me. I got to get up in the morning and spend my 10 to 30 minutes in the Bible so that God will love me more. We have the wrong understanding and the Bible does not offer us that. It doesn't offer that. The Bible tells us in those verses this. It tells us that we are saved. You are saved by God's unmerited favor of love. Not your good works. Not how much you read the Bible. It says your standing with God is based not on you, but on Jesus Christ. And whether you've accepted the free gift of his salvation or not. Not on how much you read. Not on how much you follow the guidance that it offers. It says, man, as you walk through the spiritual journey and you go through this ongoing process of sanctification, which just means drawing closer to God, that ongoing sanctification doesn't change your standing with God. We've said this before, God loves you at the maximum level. Reading the Bible doesn't change whether he loves you at that maximum level or not. He loves you there. He does. Instead, what is the Bible for? Well, we gave all those benefits. When we read the Bible and we apply its words, it brings good. It brings good into our lives. Don't you want good in your life? I want good in my life. I appreciate it. I have a quote here from uh, our regional director, John Meyer. He shared this recently. And I thought, wow, this was just a, a, a very succinct thing that I was like, I couldn't say it better myself. He says, because the Bible has been given to us by God who is good, Following what God has communicated in his word will lead to the best possible life in every way in this life and in the kingdom to come. The more closely we follow God's word, the more we will experience the abundant life that Jesus promised. We are to read, study, and follow God's word to experience life ourselves and to bring life to all. Isn't that great? What a great description. That really helps me. Because sometimes I can just fall back into that old self of thinking, well, oh man, I'm the pastor and I better get up and I gotta, I gotta read and get in the Bible and then I, that way people will love me and God will love me and it's a, that's a lie. 
That is a lie straight out of the other side of the spiritual realm. We read the Bible because it brings good to our lives and into the lives of others. That's what reading the Bible is all about. And so we look at the end of that there and we go, okay, he says, read and study and follow God's word. Read and study and follow God's word. Okay, I know the benefits. Now I've got to ask this question, how? How should I read the Bible? How should I do it? Well, the good news is we're going to talk about that next week. <laughs> Brad's going to be here and he's going to talk about how should I read the Bible? How can we do it? How can we do this effectively? He's going to answer that question. That's what I had to share this morning. I'll go ahead and pray and we'll close. Yeah, God, thank you for your word. God, when we think about this book written that we've talked about before, written over the course of many centuries by different authors in different places and different cultures of different backgrounds, Lord, you've brought it all together to have a cohesive message that is easy to understand. And yet, you even tell us the way that we can understand it. The reason it's easy to understand is because the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us when we receive the free gift of salvation. And then we can have understanding. What a gift. Thank you, God, for your gift of the scripture. God, I thank you that it is beneficial to us in so many ways that we've talked about here the past couple weeks. God, thank you for demonstrating your love for us by giving us the Bible to bring good into our lives. Lord, help us to believe it. God, help us not to be part of those 8 to 10 who don't look to the Bible. Lord, help us as a spiritual family to be part of those two out of ten who are looking to the Bible, looking to the truth. God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for my sin. Because no amount of reading your words could get me right with you, God. Thank you that Jesus Christ, by living a sinless life, and dying upon the cross, and defeating death, takes the penalty for my sin. But that all any of us have to do is receive that free gift and say, Yes, I place my faith in you. I place my faith in you, Jesus. You've paid the penalty. You're my Savior. And you're my Lord. Lord, help us to be... Help us to be a people of the book. Help us to be a people seeking after you. In Jesus' name, amen.